We live in a world that craves energy, don't we? I mean, just look at gas prices. What's happening right now with gas prices? How many of you guys enjoy paying close to $4 a gallon for gas? You know, three, isn't that awesome? You know, you, you pay 50 bucks and then the next day you're empty again. It's no fun. $70 bucks just to get to the retreat. Gosh, the gas to get here costs more than the retreat itself. It's getting to be pretty crazy. But we live in a power-crazed and energy-crazed world. There's a demand for energy. The world has this demand for energy that is not met. How many of you guys feel like that in your personal life, too? You need coffee. <laughs> Conviction. I need coffee every morning. It's kind of like my jump start for the day. It energizes me. But isn't that true that in every single part of life, we need energy, we need power just to survive, whether it's to get from point A to point B by putting fuel in your tank or coffee to start your day or enough sleep. Some of you guys need to sleep 9 or 10 hours a night just to feel like you have energy for the day. But we all need this, this energy or this power to make our lives successful. It's kind of the same way in our walk with God, but in a much more real sense. We can't do it on our own. We need His energy to empower us to live how He's called us to live. The Christian life, you guys, is impossible. The Christian life is impossible. Have you found that on your own you can love people all the time? No. Have you found that on your own you can forgive people all the time? No. Have you found that on your own you can never think a lustful thought? Have you found that on your own you can never ever say anything in a gossiping way about anyone? Right? We can't do these things on our own. So the Bible calls us to a lot of stuff, and a lot more in those things, which is physically impossible for us as humans to do. And so we need the Holy Spirit's power to do that. And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. There couldn't be a more important talk, guys. This is kind of like the fundamental core issue about living your life in a way that glorifies Christ. So please get this this morning. Sadly, guys, I would say that most Christians in the entire United States and possibly the world are very confused on this one topic. And I think that's part of Satan's plan. They're completely confused and they don't understand what it means to have the the Holy Spirit empowering them in a daily way that really leads to a Christ-like life. Think about Peter, guys. In John 18, 17, and then 25 through 27, Peter denies Christ three times. He's cowardly, he's scared, he's insecure, and he's incapable of being who God called him to be. Just prior to that, he said, I'll die for you. I'll go anywhere for you. You know, And then a few days later, he's denying Christ, denying that he even knew him. Because that's how we are naturally. Have you ever been in a class where somebody, you know, where the topic of, of Christianity came up or something like that, and you kind of just didn't say anything, kind of just let it fly? I'm not going to rock the boat. That, that's kind of like Peter. Oh, maybe not half as bad, but still, that's kind of our natural condition. Look what happened to Peter after the Holy Spirit was empowering and directing his life. In Acts 2, and specifically in verse 41, he gets up and he preaches to thousands of people. Thousands of people. This is just shortly after Christ was crucified, and they're still facing potential persecution. And he preaches boldly, and even 3,000 people that day come to know Christ in a personal way. There was a radical change in Peter's life from before to after. From being a cowardly, insecure person, incapable of obeying God, to being somebody that could speak powerfully what God wanted him to do and to obey God in complete power. 
Now there's a big difference, and we can have that same power in our lives every single day. It's impossible, guys, to be in tune with God without His Holy Spirit empowering and directing you. It will never happen. In 1 Corinthians 2, 6-16, it talks about that. And it says, a natural man thinks natural thoughts. But it says, if we're in tune with His Spirit, He's putting His thoughts and His thinking into our minds and directing us. Without this empowerment daily of the Holy Spirit... We cannot live the life that Christ called us to live. And if we don't have Him empowering us daily, we're not going to have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, all those things. We're not going to have Christ's character coming out of us. How many of you know that at times you've been hypocrites? You've said, I'm a Christian, and then acted the opposite. That's what happens when we try to do it on our own. That's what happens every single time. But when we let Him do it through His power in our lives, it comes out the way God wants. So who is the Holy Spirit and what does He do? Part of the reason that we talked about the love of the Father, the Lordship of Christ, and the power of the Spirit this weekend is those are the three members of the Trinity, or God Himself. You can think of it like this. God is a three-part being just like you're a three-part being. You have a body, you have a soul, your mind, your thinking, your attitudes, your desires, your appetites, and you have a spirit, the core real you that doesn't change. You have three parts. Water exists in three different types. Cookie, our chemistry major over here. You have water vapor. You have ice, which is the solid version of water. And then you have the liquid version, which is what you drink, water. So water has three different types. They're all water, but they're three distinct types. An apple has the skin, has the fruit, and it has the core. It has three different distinct parts, but it's one apple. So God is the same way. There are three distinct parts to God, but one God. He's one. But he has three distinct persons, and each minister to us in different ways. So that's why Aaron talked about the love of the Father. The Father has a Father-like love for us. Russ talked about the Lordship of Christ and really submitting to that in a daily way. And then today we're talking about the power of the Spirit. And that is the deal. When, when Christ left this planet, he gave us his Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses, to empower us to live like him. He actually said in John 3, I love this, in John 3, Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, how can I be saved? He said, you must be born again. And he said, I can't climb again in my mother's womb and be born again. He said, no, this is a spiritual rebirth. You're born of the Spirit. See, when God comes into your life, He does so in a spiritual manner. So He spiritually comes into your life. So God's Spirit lives in you now. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But it's impossible, guys, for you to live the Christ-like life without His Spirit empowering you daily. So who is the Holy Spirit and what does He do? He is not an impersonal force. Some people tell you He's an impersonal force like gravity. That's actually a major doctrine of a major Christian cult, the Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe that He's just an impersonal force like gravity. That's not true. He is not a mystical feeling. A lot of Christians think the Holy Spirit's just this, ooh, I feel like I just got zapped with something, you know? So now I can go do something. Okay, He's not a mystical feeling. Just like my wife Erin is not a mystical feeling. I love Erin, and I have great, great feelings, but she isn't those feelings. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is not a mystical feeling. He is not a spooky ghost. He's not some supernatural, you know, kind of weird thing. He is not a hijacking tyrant. He's not going to come into your life and say, I will force you to do what God wants. He's not going to do that. He's going to respect you and let you decide whether he's going to be in control or not. And guys, he's not an unbridled lunatic. I know a lot of people that think the Holy Spirit means throwing your mind out the door. And it's funny, I mean, if you, if you look at a lot of the verses on the Holy Spirit, they specifically talk about him directing your thinking, not your emotions. In fact, I don't think there's a single verse in the New Testament that even associates the Holy Spirit with your emotions. But there are very many that talk about how he directs our thinking and correspondingly our actions. 
So he's not just some unbridled lunatic saying, throw your mind out the door and just be crazy. He's a God of order, not a God of chaos. It says that in 1 Corinthians 14. He's a God of power, not a God of weakness. The same grace and mercy and love that God the Father and God the Son have for us, the Holy Spirit has for us also. And He desires to work with you, kind of in a cooperation, empowering you daily. So He is God, a member of the Trinity. You can look that up in 2 Corinthians 3.17. He indwells every Christian as a guarantee of their salvation. We'll talk about a few of those verses more, but from the second you believe, He is in your life, indwelling you as God Himself. That's what Jesus talked about, a, a spiritual rebirth, where His Spirit comes into you and stays there for the rest of your life. He empowers us and directs us as we allow. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit in their life, but not every Christian allows Him to empower and direct them on a continual basis. That's a sad thing. Everything the Holy Spirit does is done to glorify Christ. This is kind of a flag for you guys. This should go up in your mind. If something is ever done to glorify the Holy Spirit, its author probably is not the Holy Spirit. Because He doesn't glorify Himself. He glorifies Christ. So whenever the Holy Spirit is working, He's always pointing to Christ. Look at Christ. Get your eyes on Christ. Act like Christ. Obey Christ. And in non-Christians, and somebody that hasn't yet started a relationship with Him, He's pointing them to Christ. Look at Christ. Look how awesome He is. He's the one that convicts of sin and draws us to repentance. So He's working in our hearts. So remember that. The context for every single thing the Holy Spirit does is glorifying Christ. That's all He cares about. Just like Jesus, everything He did was to glorify the Father. So the Holy Spirit does everything He does to glorify Christ. Here are a few things that He does for us. I'll just mention the verse if you want to write it down, or the reference afterwards, but we'll kind of just go through them. He intercedes for us. He's praying for you continually. He convicts us of sin and draws us to Christ. You know when you sin and you feel that instantly hit you? Oh, what was that? I know that was wrong. That's the Holy Spirit showing you, hey, that was wrong. You need to get Christ back in control. He does that before we come to know Christ, and He continues doing that after we come to know Christ. He gives us access to God through spiritual rebirth. Again, Titus 3.5 and John 3. And a spirit of sonship, Romans 8.15. He's the one that allows us to have a father-son relationship with God. It says in Romans 8.15, through His Spirit we can cry out, Abba, Father. And that word Abba means Daddy or Papa. It's a term of endearment that a young child would use with his father. And we can have that intimate relationship with God through His Spirit, not on our own. He sanctifies us, or He makes us holy, and He renews us. Romans 5.16 and Titus 3.5. He encourages, comforts, and helps us when we are weak. How many of you guys need an encourager, a comforter, or a helper? That's what He is to us every single day. John 14.26 and Romans 8.26. It says that He's our parakletos. That's the, the word used for encourager, or helper, or comforter. Parakletos in the Greek means somebody that comes alongside you. So it means that you're having a hard time and somebody's going to stand there with you and he's going to walk with you to help you and to strengthen you. That's what the Holy Spirit is for us. No matter what you're going through in your life, he is the one that comes alongside you and walks with you through the hardest times, through the easiest times, constantly and continually, and he never lets you down. So he's your encourager, your comforter, and your helper. He guides you, Romans 8.14. Isn't that awesome? You don't have to worry about being misguided because he's going to guide you. He leads you into all truth, John 16.13. He teaches and reminds you. He's your personal teacher, John 16.26. Paul said this in Galatians chapter 1. He said, I didn't receive this teaching from the teaching of man, but I received it from God. See, the Holy Spirit is your personal teacher. And as you get in His Word, He's going to teach you and guide you into the truth as you read. 
He illuminates God's word to you. 1 Corinthians 2.12 He enables you to obey God. This is crazy awesome. Ezekiel 36 verse 27 And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So how many of you guys have found it's not always easy to obey God? Well he says I'm going to put my spirit inside of you and he's going to enable you to obey me. He's going to help you obey me and do what I call you to do. Now here's a very practical illustration of that. In Ezekiel 2, in verse 1, God says to uh, Ezekiel, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, in verse 2, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. So he says, stand up and listen to me. And then he says, the Holy Spirit comes into him, raises him to his feet, and he hears God speaking to him. So see right there, the Holy Spirit was enabling Ezekiel to obey God's command. And he does that for us today. When God says, don't lust, when the Bible says, don't lust, it doesn't just say, you better, you better work real hard. And I know you can't do it on your own, but tough luck, kid. He says, don't do this, but then I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit to enable you not to lust. To make that possible. So he enables us to obey God. He empowers, energizes, and strengthens us. Ephesians 3.16, Colossians 1.29. Colossians 1.29 actually says that we strive with all of his energy working mightily in us. Okay, imagine the energy of the God of the universe that created everything you see, that raised Christ from the dead. And that same energy works in you mightily. That's pretty awesome. And that's what happens through his Holy Spirit. He empowers, energizes, and strengthens us. He specifically empowers us to witness, guys. Acts 1.8. If you look all through the book of Acts, almost every time it talks about being filled with the Spirit, almost every single time, it's directly in connection with witnessing. Almost every single time. And that's what Jesus himself said in Acts 1.8. You'll have power to witness when the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, we have power to live the Christian life, but specifically to share our faith. He ministers through us. This is awesome. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. He ministers through you. So not only does it stop with you, but it flows out to people around you. He enables you to impact the people around you, just like if Christ himself was impacting those people around you, as you allow him. That's a pretty powerful thing. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 talks about that. And then in 12, 11, it says that he gives different gifts, talents, and abilities to each one as he desires. So, it's not like you're just sitting there alone. God's going to specifically gift you, Kimball, in ways that he doesn't gift me. He's going to give you talents that he doesn't give me. He's going to make Jordan good at stuff that he doesn't make me good at. He's going to make Sam good at stuff he doesn't make me good at. See, he's going to gift you and give you talents and abilities in areas that he won't necessarily gift and give other people talents and abilities in. Now, here's the point of that, guys. The point of that is to glorify Him with those things. Just like the Holy Spirit always glorifies Christ, I glorify Christ with those gifts that He gives me. The issue is obedience. So many people are so focused on what gift they get that they totally forget the context of obedience and glorifying Christ. The reason we get those gifts is to glorify Christ. Ravi Zacharias put it this way. He said, your calling must come before your gifting. If your gifting comes first in in importance in your mind, then you're going to become very proud and arrogant. If the calling of knowing God and making Him known is first, and no matter what He gifts you with, it's just another way to fulfill that calling, then you're going to stay humble knowing it's Him. So don't make the gifting more important than the calling. But do know that God has gifted you and and given you talents and abilities that He wants you to use for His glory. I want to throw this out there. How are you supposed to know where you're gifted? Until you walk in obedience. I mean, how are you going to know if if one of your main giftings is evangelism if you've never stepped out in obedience to share your faith? As scary as it is. 
Right? We've each got to share our faith. We've each got to walk in obedience. And in that, you're going to find that you're really, really good at certain things that God's gifted you with. At the same time, don't quit being obedient in the other areas, right? But obedience is the focus for all of it. 1 Timothy 4.14 says, don't neglect the gifts that God's given you. I think we do that a lot of times. Maybe God's made you really good at serving, but you don't serve because you're selfish. Maybe God's made you really good at sharing your faith, but you don't share your faith because you've never taken that step of obedience to, to develop that. So walk in obedience and learn to let Him really have control of the gifts that He's given you. And I want to I just mention Matthew 25 talks about being good stewards of what God gives us. And no matter what it is, make the most of it. Make the most of it. And don't just bury it. It talks about the steward that buried the talent that God gave him and did nothing with it. Don't do that. So many times we do do that. But instead, multiply it. Invest it in God's kingdom and let Him really work in it. He is transforming us, making us more like Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We're each being transformed more and more into His likeness through His Spirit. You guys are becoming more and more like Christ every day through the working of His Spirit in you. And get this, He produces God's fruit and God's very character in your life. Galatians 5.22-23 Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He produces those things in your life. So I guess I just want to run through this list again really quickly. The Holy Spirit makes you aware of sin in context of grace. He draws you to Christ. He gives you access to God Himself. He makes you God's child. He sanctifies you and makes you holy. He renews you. He encourages you. He comforts you. He helps you. He guides you. He leads you into all truth. He teaches you. He reminds you. He illuminates God's Word to you. He enables you to obey God. He empowers you. He energizes you. He strengthens you. He enables you to witness to others with power. He ministers through you. He gives you gifts, talents, and abilities. And He transforms you to be like Christ, producing God's character of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in you. That's pretty powerful. And that's what you have every single day. That's huge, guys. It's huge. So really, this is not a minor issue today. This is big. This is how can we really live the life God wants us to live. If you're trying to do this stuff in your own strength, you're going to fail every single time. You're going to fail every single time. If you're simply allowing Him to fill, empower, and direct you, you will succeed every single time. It's that simple. The Bible tells us that as soon as you put your trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes into you. In John seven thirty-seven 37-39, it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Okay, after Jesus went back to heaven, was glorified, his Spirit was given to us as believers. What does it say right here you have to do to receive the Holy Spirit? By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. What do you have to do to receive his Holy Spirit? Believe in Christ. You put your trust in Christ, and then what happens? You're spiritually reborn, and His Spirit comes into you and lives in you. Ephesians 1.13 says, And you also were included in Christ. When were you included in Christ? When you accepted His free gift of salvation. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So again, what did you have to do to receive His Holy Spirit? Having believed, you received His Holy Spirit. Isn't that pretty awesome? So the second you put your trust in Christ, His Holy Spirit is in you. 2 Corinthians 5.5 5 says it again. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, when it talks about the Holy Spirit being a seal, I mentioned this at Connect a few weeks ago, a seal was the signature of a king. 
it was something that was impressed in wax or a seal that he put on something signifying this is mine. So when he puts his Holy Spirit inside you, you have God's signature across your life. And that's coming out to people in the fruit of the Spirit. Because they can really see Christ-likeness coming out of you. They see His very signature on your life. So the second you put your trust in Christ, His Holy Spirit comes into you. He indwells you. He lives inside of you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 6.19 both say that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body. Mark Mills, the Holy Spirit is inside you right now. Because you're Christ's Son. Because you're God's Son. That's enough. That's it. He's indwelling you right now. The second you believe... His Holy Spirit indwells you, comes into you, and lives there until you die. Now, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament here, Christ did not yet come. We did not yet have a free gift of salvation, so you could lose the Holy Spirit. That's why in, in Psalm 51:11, David says, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Remember that? I've heard a lot of Christians think, think Oh, now I can lose the Holy Spirit. You know, God might take His Holy Spirit from me. That's not the case, guys. In Ephesians 4.30, it talks about what happens now as Christians. Now that we have Christ in our lives, it says you can grieve the Holy Spirit. And it tells us don't grieve the Holy Spirit by disobeying God. So I want to encourage you that you cannot lose the Holy Spirit through anything you could ever do in your own actions. You can grieve Him, though. And by grieving Him, it means specifically that you cease to experience His power and direction in your life until you decide to give Him control again. At which point you experience that power and direction again. Okay, so you can't lose the Holy Spirit. He's in your life until you die. Now, that's just the indwelling of His Spirit, which happens as soon as you put your trust in Christ. There's a whole other aspect called the filling of the Holy Spirit that we have to intentionally walk in on a daily basis. This is not a one-time deal, but a continual basis. In Ephesians 5.18, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's, here's the deal. Why did it put those two things together, you guys? Any ideas? Why did it put getting drunk together with the Holy Spirit? It's kind of a weird correlation to make. What happens when you drink? Do you act like yourself? No. Do you act like something else is controlling you? Right? You do stupid things. I've seen a lot of drunk people, and they all do the same things. It's like their, their uniqueness, their individuality disappears, and they become just a mindless robot. And they just start acting like the alcohol dictates. Now the reason God says don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit is He's saying to live a life where you are not controlled by your own self but where you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Just like if you drank a bunch of alcohol and you no longer controlled yourself but the alcohol controlled you. He's saying in the same way live a life where His Holy Spirit controls every single action, every single word, and everything you do. Now here's the question guys. Who's who's Ephesians written to? Don't say the Ephesians, because that's the, that's the obvious answer. Christians or non-Christians? Christians. Okay, in Ephesians 1.13, Paul tells them that they've already received the Holy Spirit. So do they have the Holy Spirit in them? Okay. In Ephesians 4, it talks about different giftings and things that the Holy Spirit had produced in them. So is He already working in their lives? Okay, now to that audience, He says, Be filled with the Spirit, a command. Isn't that interesting? So, just because we have the Holy Spirit in us, we can't just assume that He's controlling and directing us. It's an intentional response to God's command to let the Holy Spirit have power and to let Him take control of our lives. And we have to do this every single day. So, I'm under the control of His power and His direction, not my own. And they're very different. So, what's the difference between being indwelt or filled? A lot of you guys have seen this cheesy illustration that I like to do. Okay, this is David Pecor's car right here. 
Okay, there's David Pecor's Jeep. Now, I don't know if Dave has this or not, but for the purpose of this illustration, you have like a cutaway diagram into the back of his car, and he has an extra gas tank in here, okay? Gas. He would love that, especially with gas at $4 a gallon, or three fifty or whatever. Uh, he would be pretty excited. Okay, so he has this gas in the car. Now, his tank, which is down here, let's just say it's right above the wheel in a really dangerous location like that. <laughs> okay, here's his tank. It's on empty. Have you ever been there, David? Um, yeah. Okay, how far is he going to get on an empty tank? If he's pointed downhill, he could go anyways. <laughs> well, he's not pointed downhill. <laughs> he's on a flat surface. See, I even drew it. Oh, maybe it is a little downhill. Okay, Chris, come on. You engineers are so picky. But his tires are so lopsided, he probably wouldn't go anywhere. Okay. <laughs> okay, there he is. How far is he going to go? Not far. Not far. Good answer, Leah. It's not going to go far. Now, he has a whole tank of gas here, but this tank is empty, right? So, is the gas in the car? Yes, it's in the car. Is the gas filling the tank? It's not filling the tank. This is where we are. As soon as you put your trust in Christ, His Holy Spirit is in your life. But your tank is still empty. Right? Well, every day I get to choose, am I going to let Him fill the tank or not? Does that make sense? What do you have to do to fill that tank, David? You just have to fill it up, right? just have to make the decision. I'm going to fill the tank right now. It's the same way with us and the Holy Spirit's power. We get to decide, I'm going to let Him fill me right now, or I'm just going to not let Him fill me right now. It's really pretty simple. Okay, let's say you fill the tank. Do you have to get out and start pushing to get it to work? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. Okay, probably not though, right? Do you have to do a little dance around the car, a Chinese fire drill or something like that to get it to start? I would love to see you do that. <laughs> no, you fill it, and then it drives. It's good to go. It's the same way with us and the Holy Spirit's power. When I surrender control and let Him fill me, He empowers me. I don't have to do a spiritual dance or sing some goofy song or recite some prayer three times. I don't have to say, okay, well, I've asked Him to fill me, but now I have to live three days without sin before it kicks in. Okay? That's not what happens. I simply allow Him to fill me, and at that point, He empowers and directs me according to His will, until I quit letting Him fill me. Until I kind of take control again and say, okay, no, I'm, now I'm in control, which we do far too frequently. So that's kind of a cheesy illustration, but I think it makes a little bit of sense, doesn't it? Okay, so there's a difference between Him indwelling us and being in us. That can never go away. And there's a difference between that and Him filling us, empowering us, and directing us. Many Christians live their entire lives without His filling power and direction without Him controlling their lives on a daily basis, even more than daily, on an hourly, on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. Many Christians are ignorant of God's love, forgiveness, and power. We heard this guy a couple years ago. I couldn't even believe they let him speak at DCC. Leah was there. But he was saying, I wanted to share my faith, you know? So I, I wanted the Holy Spirit to empower me to share my faith. So I prayed and prayed and prayed, but I didn't feel any different. So then I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I didn't feel any different. So then I prayed and prayed and prayed and listened to some praise and worship, but I didn't feel any different. And he goes, for eight hours, remember this? For eight hours, I was praying and getting all revved up, and then I felt like, okay, now I'm ready to go share my faith. This guy is ignorant. He thinks that his emotions are the evidence for the Holy Spirit's power in his life. And he's being ignorant of the fact that he can simply say, I want you to empower me right now, and then he can step out in it. Many Christians are satisfied with the mundane, not knowing their spiritual heritage. 
Who cares if I'm filled? I like my life like this right now. I don't really want to share my faith. See, many Christians are satisfied where they're at, and so they don't see a need to let Him empower and direct them. Many Christians are often confused about the Holy Spirit's filling, like that first guy was, thinking they have to jump through 13 different hoops before God will fill them, or they have to say some magic incantation or something of that sort. And many Christians lack faith and doubt the Holy Spirit truly fills them. Sometimes we say, okay, God, I'm surrendering control. I want you to fill me. But I'm still too darn scared to share my faith. I'm not going to try. I'm not going to step out in faith because I'm fearful. And I really doubt whether He really is going to empower me or not. The life God's called you to is impossible on your own. But with the Holy Spirit's power and filling, it's very possible every single day. Now here's how we're filled. You ever wonder how you're filled? Here's how you're filled. Biblically speaking, it's very, very simple. Ask Him to fill you. Is that too difficult? I call these the ABCDs. So A, ask. In uh, Luke 11.13, Jesus says, If anyone asks for the Holy Spirit, he's going to receive him. Does that make sense? If I simply just ask him to fill me, he will do it. God promised me that. Is God going to lie to you? Was Jesus not telling you the truth when he promised you that? No. When you simply ask him to fill and empower you, he will. B, believe he will and claim it by faith alone. In 1 John 5.14-15, it says that he's going to answer prayer. Prayer that's in line with his will. When He commands you to be filled with His Spirit, and then you ask Him to fill you with His Spirit, you think He's going to say no? Of course not. You know that's His will. He commanded you that way. And He promised He'd answer anything in line with His will. So if you go ahead and ask Him to fill you with His Spirit, and you believe that by faith, is there any reason in the world that He's not going to be empowering and directing you? What if you don't feel it? What if you feel even twice as scared as you felt before you prayed that? Does that feeling invalidate His power in your life? Not at all. See, guys, we just believe it by faith alone. We trust He's going to fill me by faith alone. Okay, C, confess all known sin. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sin, He's faithful to forgive it and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Now, Ephesians 4.30, again, going back to that verse says that we can grieve His Holy Spirit by our sin. It's talking specifically there about things we say. And before that, it talks about a lot of other different types of sin. Now, those things grieve Him and prevent us from experiencing His power in our lives. So if we want to experience His power in our lives, we need to confess that sin and let Him just clear it away. Psalm 103.12, He cast it as far as the east is from the west. So that sin is no longer there preventing me from being filled with His Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Totally removes it. So A, ask him to fill you. B, believe that he does that by faith alone. C, confess all known sin. D, desire his power and direction in your life. Matthew 5, 6 says that if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Isn't that awesome? You're going to be filled if you hunger and thirst for righteousness. But see, the, the idea here is I've got a hunger and thirst. I've got a desire for his will, not mine. If I'm sitting here saying... All I care about is video games. But God, fill me and control me as I sit here in front of this video game. Okay? <laughs> What's He going to fill you and control you for? <laughs> to beat level 8? I don't think so, you know? See, if I want to be filled and controlled by His Spirit, I also have to have a desire to see His will done in my life. And when I have that desire, He fills and controls me to accomplish those things. Now, S... The ABCDs, you have to put that S on there. It's, it's important, it's a big part of it, is surrender control to Christ. Romans 12.1 talks about presenting your body a living sacrifice. 
which is your reasonable act of worship. And that's the deal, guys, is we got to surrender. That's, that's where my heart has to be first. If I'm in control, if I'm walking in my own natural self, good luck at having the Holy Spirit really empower me. Because, like I said before, He respects you enough to not hijack your life. And He's going to let you do what you want. But when you surrender and come to Him and say, I'm putting you on the throne to let you empower and direct me, He really does that right then and there. So, A, B, C, Ds. Ask Him to fill you. Believe He does by faith alone. Confess all known sin. Desire His power and direction. And surrender control to Christ. Not necessarily in that order, but that just makes it easy to remember. A, B, C, Ds. Actually, if you did it backwards, it'd probably be good. Surrender control. Desire. Confess known sin. Believe He will by faith. And then ask Him. You could do it backwards, it'd be just fine. But remember the A, B, C, Ds. I hope that you can remember those five things. Even memorize them. Because I think it's practically a big help in your daily life to remember those ABCDs. Okay, now the Holy Spirit's filling in the book of Acts. I want to kind of just highlight this real quickly because this is important. This is not a small thing. This is big. Acts 2.4 is the first time that the disciples originally received the Holy Spirit. Up until that point, they'd never had the Holy Spirit on a continual basis. They'd only had Him for a little bit here and there. At that point, the Holy Spirit, when Jesus was glorified, came and indwelt all Christians from the moment of their accepting Christ. From the moment of their salvation, He indwells them. Okay? So, that was when they were initially filled. After that, though, this is really interesting. How many of you guys, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you thought that were filled with the Spirit one time? That's how I grew up thinking. It's just a one-time deal. Okay? the book of Acts, it blows that out of the water. So Acts 2.4, Peter's there, he's filled with the Spirit. Acts 4.8, again, Peter, it says, is filled with the Spirit. And then he witnesses. Acts 4.31, all the disciples, including Peter, it says, are filled with the Spirit. That's interesting. Uh, In Acts 9.17, it says, Paul was filled with the Spirit. In Acts 13.9, it says, Paul again is filled with the Spirit and speaks the Word of God boldly. In Acts 13.52, it says, all the disciples were filled with the Spirit. So do the math. It says Peter was filled with the Spirit. It specifically describes it four different times. Isn't that interesting? So this was not a one-time deal. And those were definitely not the only times. Those were just times where Luke, writing in Acts, clearly articulated, hey, look, Peter is sharing his faith, but he didn't do it on his own power. He was filled intentionally before he shared his faith. Isn't that cool? That it makes that distinction. This was an intentional thing that Peter did. Paul, it says, was filled three times. It specifically says twice, and then it says the disciples after that were all filled, including Paul at that time, because he by that time was a disciple. It says Barnabas was filled three different times. And it says all the disciples generally, it mentions three times that they were filled. So what we learn from the book of Acts is two big points. One, his Holy Spirit's filling is not just a one-time event that happened when I was 12 and then it's good forever. This is a daily decision, whether I'm going to walk in his power or my power. And every day, many, many times during the day even, I can go through the ABCDs. I'm going to ask Him to fill me. I'm going to believe that He does by faith. I'm going to confess any known sin, desire His will in my life, and surrender control to Him. And every time I do that, He fills me anew with His Spirit in a way that I can glorify Him, that I can walk in His power and accomplish all that He has for me. So this happens on a continual basis. And another, the second big point I want to mention is almost every single time that's mentioned, it's in, con- in the context of the Great Commission, guys. It's in the context of speaking His Word boldly. It's in the context of witnessing. And see, that's exactly what Jesus said would happen in Acts 1.8. That we would receive power to witness when His Holy Spirit came on us. See, this whole world needs to hear about Christ. Jesus' whole purpose was to seek and save the lost, Luke 19.10. Why would it be any different for His Spirit? 
If his whole purpose is to glorify Christ, and Christ's whole purpose is to seek and to save the lost, why would he then turn around and do something opposite of that goal? If his whole purpose is to glorify Christ, he's going to work in line with Christ's purpose of seeking and saving the lost. And that's what he's doing in us. He's empowering us to reach out to the world with Christ's gospel and to see them come to know Christ. So walking in the Spirit is a daily process of continually being filled. In Galatians 5.25 it says, If you live in the Spirit, then also walk in the Spirit. Which means every day I can make this decision to let Him control me on a daily basis. Not just last week, not just next month, but every single day, letting Him empower and direct me according to His will to accomplish His purposes. So that's what it means to walk in the Spirit. It's a continual process. And that is what gets us off the spiritual roller coaster. How many of you guys have been on this Christian spiritual roller coaster? Up and down, way down low, up and down, way down low, up and down, way down low. That's the opposite of what God wants. See, He gives us His Holy Spirit to to empower us to live a steady Christ-like life. A continual Christ-like life. When we're on this roller coaster, it means that we're trusting ourselves and our emotions far too much. And we're not simply surrendering to Him in the power of His Spirit. When we do that, He really balances things. And instead of chaos, you get peace and love and joy. You get those characteristics of Christ Himself coming out in your life. So what does it take to really truly walk in the Spirit on a daily basis? Well, the ABCDs, but those are just part of this bigger concept. We've talked about these two circles. Most of you know this comes after you accept Christ, okay? So if you've accepted Christ, initially we come to this middle circle where Christ is on the throne of my life and self is submitted to Christ. The result of this life is the fruit of the Spirit and what God has called me to, right? All that starts coming out of this life. Now, I can come over to this second circle, though, where I... I'm on the throne of my life, and Christ is not. Where I simply say, I am a Christian, I am your child, but I'm going to live my way, not your way. We do this every day, right? I'm going to think about something I know you don't want me thinking about. I'm going to say something I know you don't want me saying. I'm going to do what I know you don't want me doing. So we do that by, we sin. Isn't that true? We get selfish. We put self on the throne. And when we sin, we come to that circle with self on the throne and not Christ. Now, how do I get back to the first circle where Christ is on the throne? Confess, right? And He cleanses me from all unrighteousness. So the sin is gone. It's wiped away. Cast as far as the east is from the west. So I'm back in this circle. What we like to say is this is exhaling. Anybody a bio major in here? I think one of you guys is, right? All right, there he is, Mark Hodges. Mr. Biology himself. What happens if an organism only exhales, Mark? They only exhale? Yeah. Never inhale, just exhale. They'll suffocate and die. A lot of Christians do this, though. How many Christians live their whole life falling into sin and then just confessing it? Falling into sin and then just confessing it? Falling into sin and just confessing it? And don't you feel spiritually dead when that's the cycle of your life? It just zaps us. I wish I could have victory so bad, but I just don't. Okay, we need to inhale, too. When you sin, God doesn't want you to sin, and you don't have to sin. But when you do, and we will, we will fall. When you do sin, you simply exhale and confess that sin. But don't stop there. Inhale, also. Okay, judging from the topic this morning, anybody want to... Venture a guess as to what inhaling would be? Being filled with the Spirit. 
Leah, you are very bright. Yeah, it's being filled with the Spirit. Right? I can confess that sin, say, God, forgive me for that sin, and then simply, I ask you to fill me right now with your Spirit to control me and to do your will through my life. Very simple. Very, very simple. That's the same as saying, I want you to be on the throne. Remember that whole surrender issue. I want you to take control right now and to do your will through me, not my own will through me. Okay, now when we do this, guys, this cycle of exhaling and inhaling, you're going to be healthy as a Christian. You're inhaling, being filled with the Spirit by faith alone. You don't have to do anything for that. You simply ask Him and trust Him. And then you're confessing or exhaling that sin and getting Christ back on the throne. We call this a throne check. Do you guys see how connected that is to the idea of being filled with His Spirit? Do you guys see the connection there? So remember, these two big principles in being filled daily, the throne check, who's on the throne right now? Is it me or is it Christ? And if it's me, I need to get off the throne, confess that sin, and then let Him be on the throne, and remember your ABCDs. Ask Him to fill you, believe He does by faith alone, confess all known sin, desire Him to work through your life, and surrender control to Him. Okay, you guys, so we, we do the throne check, and then we are intentionally filled with His Spirit, inhaling. When we do that, guys, we begin to live a life where He truly is in control of everything we do. The Holy Spirit's power is real. In Ephesians 1, 19-20, it talks about His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. So, the incomparably great power of God Himself that was able to raise Jesus from the dead works in your life every day as you allow That's incomparably great. The monster energy drink is good, but it doesn't compare with God's power. It doesn't compare with God's power. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Christ lives his life through me as I allow him through his Holy Spirit. As I simply surrender to him every day. How many of you guys want to be Christ-like? I do. It's impossible as a Christian. Not only hard, it's impossible. But through His Spirit, He lives His life through me every day. Philippians 4.13 I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Through Jesus Christ. I can do everything. Okay, what is not included in everything? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing, right? Everything is included in everything. So is there anything you can't do when His Holy Spirit is empowering you? Anything. What if, you, what if you don't feel like it? What if you've said, okay, fill me, control me, put you on the throne, you've gone through the ABCDs, you've had your throne check, and now you've got to go share your faith with this guy. And you just say, I can't do it. I can't do it. What if you feel like you can't do it? Do you think he's still empowering you? Do you think he's still directing you? Even if you're scared out of your mind, scared spitless, as Russ would say, He's still going to empower and direct you as you allow. Colossians 1.29 To this end I labor, and he's talking specifically again about the Great Commission. You can read that in 1.28 about winning people for Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy. How much of his energy? All. All his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Imagine being able to say that with confidence. God's very energy, all of his energy works powerfully in my life. That's his desire every single day. To have these Christ-like lives that not only enable us to live like he wants, but enable us to impact everybody around us. Everybody. Find one person in the New Testament that came into contact with Jesus and walked away unchanged. 
There aren't any. I mean, there just aren't any. Remember the beginning of the year I talked about encounters with Christ at Connect? Remember this? You know, he'd come to a village, talk for 10 minutes, and they go, surely you're the Christ, the Savior of the world, they even said. You know, he talks to Pilate. Pilate is so convinced he's a king that he demands that that be put on the cross. I mean, you, you look at anybody he ever encountered, and they are impacted forever afterwards. That same power is available for you and I as we let him empower and direct us. No relationship, no conversation, no meeting has to be meaningless or fruitless. It can all have an impact for Him. It can all have an impact for Him. That's the power that we have with Christ. That doesn't mean you're not going to have fear. Russ's quote, I love this quote. I wrote it in my little Bible when I first heard it. He said, if faith had a feeling, it would probably be fear. Most of us think that faith means that I feel like I can conquer the world. My biceps are so huge. Okay, uh, that's that's how we feel. No, guys. Sometimes the most fearful things you'll ever do are stepping out in obedience to Christ. You'll be scared out of your mind. Many of you guys have gotten opportunities this semester to share your faith, to stand up in class, to stand up for Christ. You're probably scared out of your mind in those situations, you know. But He still worked through you. He empowered you. He directed you. As he desires. So if faith had a feeling, it would probably be fear. So remember, guys, that even when you're fearful, he is still empowering you and directing you as you allow. It's been said that courage isn't the absence of fear, it is the presence of fear, yet the will to go on. Courage is not the absence of fear, it's the presence of fear, yet the will to go on. So it's coming to this idea that, yeah, I might be scared, I might not feel like God's empowering me right now, but you know, I asked him to, and I'm trusting that, and I'm stepping out in faith. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5.7 says. It says, we walk by faith, not by sight. See, when I rely on how I feel, that's walking by sight. How do I feel? What does the circumstance look like? I need to just not look at those things and say, by faith, I know God's empowering and directing me. Okay, so what, what does he really give me power for in my life? The Holy Spirit empowers you to say no to sin and temptation giving you victory over sexual sin, lust, porn, adultery, idolatry, putting other things above God, to give you victory over stealing, insecurities, greed, drugs, alcohol, slander, gossip, other bad speech, hatred, anger, bitterness, jealousy, pride, addictions, selfishness, arguing, and fundamentally, He changes our thinking. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says He gives us the thinking of God Himself. And that's the source of all that sin. James 1, 14-15 says that, that sin starts first in our desires, in our mind. Jesus in Matthew five twenty eight said, if, if you've looked lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. See, the sin starts in my head. And see, the Holy Spirit fundamentally is changing my thinking, the source of all that sin, to be Christ-like thinking so I can live a Christ-like life. So He gives you victory over all those areas of sin and any more you could possibly think of. But not only does He give you victory over sin... He also gives you the power to live the Christ-like life. He empowers you to become like Christ, enabling you to love even when it's not easy, to love people you even don't like. He gives you the ability to have joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He enables you to forgive, to share your faith, to have great relationships, even to have a great marriage. That's part of the Holy Spirit's power every day, to have a great marriage. To take every thought captive. You know, the Bible tells us to take every thought captive. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I first read that verse, I kind of said, every thought? I mean, I might be able to get up to 40 or 50% of thoughts, but 
if I tried to take every thought captive, I would just be sitting here all day psychoanalyzing myself. You know, I'd get into a mess. No, he gives me the power to even take every thought captive. You know, a lot of you guys have told me about how even in your dreams, you, you have these lustful dreams or something like that, and it makes you feel so guilty the next day. Man, as you learn to let Christ control you on a daily basis, he's even going to change your dreams. I can vouch for that. God just changes our thinking, guys. The Holy Spirit does that. He changes our thinking. He will enable you to take every thought captive. He will enable you to stand up for God, to put others first, to have confidence in Him. How many of you guys want confidence? Not only confidence, He says He's going to give you strong confidence. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. That's through His Spirit's power. He's going to enable you to be who He truly made you to be. To be who He wants you to be. To know the truth. To grow closer to Him and to obey Him every day in every single way in your life. That's a lot of power to do those things. Ultimately, without the Holy Spirit's power, the Christian life is impossible. But with His power, it is not only possible, but guaranteed. But guys, we have to intentionally fill the tank every day. That's the deal. Probably many times a day. We have to intentionally fill the tank. And then that's it. Just trust by faith that He does it. You don't have to do anything more. You don't have to wait to feel any different. You simply fill the tank. So fill the tank intentionally on a continual basis and then guys, step out in faith and watch Him work mightily through your lives.